Hello and welcome to uh, JP Morgan's At Any Rate podcast. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, I'm Meera Chandan, um, co-head of the Global FX Strategy Team here at JP Morgan, and I'm joined today by my colleagues Patrick Locke and James Nelligan. So um, first podcast for the year for us, it's always a good time to stock take where we were when we left off at the end of 2023 and where we stand at the start of the new year. And I just want to kick off with the right tone, uh, you know, for this podcast, which I think might exasperate uh, some of our regular listeners. Uh, in a nutshell, it's not getting any easier to call the dollar. Um, and, you know, this is because of a lot of issues that we were facing last year um, are still very much in play. So um, regular listeners will recall, as we ended last year, we were making the point that the Fed's um, dovish pivot was a big deal, uh, you know, was a substantial pivot, should be meaningful, uh, but that it wasn't enough to motivate us to change, to chase the dollar weaker. And there were two reasons for that. Um, firstly, FX markets were already very well priced to the soft landing uh, and the declining inflation um, narrative. Uh, if you took a look at the rates markets, they were pricing in the first rate cut from uh, from the Fed in March, uh, with six cuts priced in, very similar for the ECB as well. And moreover, if you took a look at the broad dollar, it was actually undershooting relative to this benign pricing. And the second reason for us to be cautious at the end of last year was, uh, was that growth in yields were substantially challenged outside the US, despite this Fed pivot. So we didn't really see the risk reward in chasing the dollar weaker and our bias was to actually have a bullish dollar view, but you know we had been advocating patience, uh, patience around that. So this le left us in a bit of an uneasy transition. Um, and if we fast forward three weeks, again, I can't really say it's getting any easier. Uh, a lot of these uneasiness, um, you know, continues to remain in place given how much inflation optimism is priced into markets. And meanwhile, our economists are still cautioning that you know the global core inflation is probably going to be around three percent annualized pace in the first half of twenty four and that that's not really going to be something that central banks are going to be very comfortable with. So with the market pricing what it is, I think the onus is now squarely on the U.S. data to corroborate the stance that the Fed and markets have adopted. And um, and certainly the initial read from the payrolls report today is that conditions in the U.S. very well might still remain quite resilient, but um, that's the space to watch. So we're pretty much in a similar camp to where we were late last year. Buys are still to be uh, bullish the dollar, but again, with patience and recognition, uh, that the data, particularly from the U.S., will be the important marker here to convince markets um, otherwise. And uh, and we aren't going to get this data you know, imminently. This is going to be likely a multi-week, if not a multi-month process. So uh, you know, with that in mind, um, let's just uh, you know, switch, uh, switch this discussion to um, a couple of the recent events just to sort of come up to speed um, as we head into the new year. Let's start with the U.S., uh, Patrick, first of all, um, in December, you noted that the dollar was severely undershooting rates. Uh, is this still the case? Yeah, thanks, Vera, and, uh, and a happy new year. Um, yeah, so the dollar had a pretty pretty mighty spill kind of November, December, following the release of the October CPI out of the U.S., and then again, you know, the Fed's pivot. And as you say, um, the dollar started to screen pretty weak on some of the models that we look at, in particular, we have a relative real rates model, uh, one of our workhorse models that captured most of the variance in the dollar throughout 2023, upwards of 80 to 90 percent per square type levels. Uh, so it was really quite good. Um, and as a result, it was quite notable then when the dollar was shooting under shooting by some upwards of around 2 percent um, against that model, you know, at, at one point in December. 
Um, that was pretty extreme in, in terms of z-score terms, again, given how well the model had worked uh, for most of the year. Um, so that caught our eye, obviously. Um, essentially how we think about that and kind of what the, the dollar was really trading with um, based on our analysis is that it ended up in November and December being just very well correlated with the outright level of U.S. yields. In other words, adjusting the relative rate model for a, you know, a proxy of just what outright yields were doing, um, the dollar was better, better explained in that point. That being said, obviously, you know, FX is, is a relative asset class and you'd expect relative rates models uh, to ultimately, um, you know, be the better workhorse models over, over time. And so in that case, um, it is, despite the November, December price action, you would expect kind of the dollar to recouple back to, uh, you know, what those rate spread models were saying. And in fact, I think that's what's happening. Obviously, you know, the dollars had a nice lift over the last week to start the year. Um, and that is basically trending back up towards what these relative rate models um, would be suggesting. So it's still, you know, not quite there. It's a little bit cheap, uh, but certainly not as extreme um, kind of as that, as we had seen maybe, you know, call it a month ago or so. So we think that's instructive and, you know, ultimately should help uh, provide something of a floor uh, for against any kind of additional dollar weakness. Okay, thanks for that, Patrick. Um, and second question for me, uh, we've had a couple of Fed relevant developments this week in the US. Uh, first of all, the minutes uh, discussing uh, the QT tapering. Uh, you know, I think uh, that is something that could have some signaling value. And then of course, uh, the US payrolls today, how do both of these uh, impact the skew of risks around the dollar? Sure. So yeah, we got the minutes on Wednesday. Um, you know, most market participants were kind of clued in uh, to any language about kind of the potential scope, timing around easing, anything like that. You know, just trying to get a better sense of the discussions from the Fed. But really, uh, there wasn't much of that. And instead, um, there was kind of a surprise novation in that um, the balance sheet was, you know, tapering QT was essentially brought forward. And um, I think the view from the rates, our rates team and the economists mean that, you know, this is essentially, uh, you know, prefacing a potential change. Um, we had originally been looking for QT to last pretty much throughout this year um, unchanged. And in our past analysis, you know, we've noted that ultimately kind of that balance sheet contraction, especially on kind of a global basis, um, is kind of an anti-cyclical dollar support. Uh, so at the margins, if if it actually looks to become the case where the Fed is going to accelerate um, the end of QT and perhaps taper it as well, um, you know, at least superficially, that would suggest, you know, less of a dollar support um, over time. But I think realistically, when you drill into it, um, even if you assume that, you know, the, the balance sheet runoff this year by the Fed is about half um, of what we had originally expected. And again, like, you know, we, we haven't made any formal changes to the QT view or anything like that. So this is a hypothetical exercise. But if you assume that we cut the QT uh, in half for this year, um, that's still a relatively modest amount in terms of, you know, the overall uh, DM central bank um, balance sheet rundown that we're expecting this year. And so looking at past sensitivities, we think it's worth could be worth somewhere around, you know, three tenths to six tenths uh, less supportive of the dollar, which obviously in this kind of regime of macro volatility uh, isn't, isn't a whole lot. Um, I would also note that, you know, the dollar did not appreciate as much as kind of what, you know, global QT last year would have suggested, which also 
you know, should give you a degree of insulation there. And I guess the final point I'd make is that, you know, even if the Fed does start to taper its QT, uh, you know, it's not obvious that other central banks in the DM space are doing so as well. So we're still looking for a, you know, a pretty significant uh, global DM uh, central bank balance sheet runoff. So um, it's a consideration, but I don't think one that really kind of obscures how we're thinking about the dollar more broadly. Uh, and then on payrolls, um, you know, obviously interesting. It looked firm on the headline, barring, uh, you know, a few weaker revisions. Um, I think what really stood out to me was that, uh, you know, wage growth kind of continues to come in at a, at a decent clip. Uh, each of the last couple of months has been running about four tenths, which, you know, annualized is still pretty punchy and above what you would think um, is in line with kind of the Fed's heuristic for uh, its overall 2% inflation goal. And so really, you know, given what happened in November and, and uh, December, uh, again, with CPI and with the, you know, uh, the December FOMC and Powell's comments, you know, the market's been really kind of looking for any data validation um, around its pretty aggressive rates pricing for the rest of this year. Um, and I think on net, you know, this probably um, adds a little bit um, to what we've seen over the last couple of weeks, which is markets have been pairing back the extent of Fed cuts priced in for this year um, compared to where it had been um, a month ago. So a month ago, there was about six cuts priced for this year. Maybe there's closer to five now. And I think the March meeting in particular, you know, continues to looks more like a 50-50 now where it was skewed more towards it in ease. Um, and so on that, you know, that's that's positive for the dollar. Um, the reality is that, you know, the market um, ultimately got very aggressive in terms of what it was expecting for the Fed. Uh, from our point, you know, we were arguing that um, it's not unreasonable necessarily, but it also kind of raises the bar for more obvious kind of dollar weakness. And now you're getting the inverse where, you know, the data is not obviously playing ball um, with what the Fed, you know, would need to see to ease that early. So the dollar, I think, is naturally deriving a little bit of a support there. So um, on that, I don't think that changes much um, in terms of kind of our strategic thinking around the dollar right now. Yeah, thanks for that, Patrick. Let's um, let's turn our attention to Europe now. James, um, what do you make of the recent price action? And um, are there any local developments that are making you consider any changes um, in your view for the individual currencies in Europe? Sure, thanks, Mira. Um, I'd say, uh, just starting with sterling, I'd say, uh, you know, just before the holiday period, we, we were very focused on uh, the UK inflation print that was uh, coming in, in mid-December, which we thought would be important for, for dictating whether uh, Bank of England is, is is less of an outlier than the market thinks, especially compared to the, to the ECB and the Fed. And and we did get a, a good undershoot there with uh, with headline now on a, on a three-handle uh, for CPI in the UK and, and core lower than expected as well. And sterling did weaken on that in December, but there have been kind of pockets of resiliency in the data where uh, the, the UK PMIs and, and some of the survey data have been uh, slightly firmer. But ultimately, though, we think it's about inflation and wage growth for the currency for, for sterling. And we think that the growth box is, is largely ticked. I mean, you've had Q3 GDP coming in negative. So so the question is really around whether we can see inflation normalize. And so uh, the, the next inflation print the week after next is is going to be quite important for sterling again. Um, our UK economist is, is looking for a dovish guidance shift from the Bank of England in Q1. 
and his his Q2 headline CPI forecast is 2.8. So so that that kind of normalization process should should help sterling weaken. Um, again, it just makes the Bank of England more, look more like the ECB and the Fed and and less of an outlier. So we're we're still maintaining the the, the bearish sterling view. Um, for for stocky, we we had a bullish view coming into the year ahead. Um, and, and when we put that out in November, just just based on the idea that the currency was was cheap to growth, and and could benefit from from lower global yields, uh, there was a clear valuation gap, but that's that's reduced now with uh, with stocky screening a, a lot closer to fair value against their uh, growth and rates. Medium term, we we do still like stocky. Uh, so the PMIs this week were were pretty solid in Sweden. Uh, we we've got to wait to for, to to February for the for the Riks Bank now, but. Um, you know they're on on hold and let less hawkish stance should allow um, some of the rate sensitive sectors in in Sweden to recover, which which helps uh, erode that uh, recession risk premium for for the currency, which was uh, built up last year. Uh, for Nokia, we're a bit more neutral um, here. So you've got strong Q1 seasonality. Norge's Bank FX purchases came in a lot lower than expected, uh, but you do have soft domestic growth. You've got heavy supply issues in, in oil and gas on, on the terms of trade side. And uh, the currency is not as cheap as, as people think. So our fair value for Euronoki is, is 11.49. So um, not quite as cheap as, as people think on, on valuations, especially over the short term. And just finally for Swiss, um, very large moves in December caught a lot of people's attention with uh, Euro Swiss breaking 93. Uh, some of the drivers there, you had strong seasonality, especially in the second half of December, uh, some aggressive rate spread narrowing on the, on the Euro Swiss side. And obviously Euro Swiss is, is looking quite cheap here on fair value. And so we wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised to see some, some reversion over the short term, but ultimately, uh, you, you know, you've still got quite soggy European growth makes it hard for, for us to turn bearish on, on Swiss. Um, you also have it still quite active S and B, but, there, there obviously was a quite a dovish shift from the SMB in December, and uh, on especially on FX intervention guidance, um, where we're waiting to see uh, that the hard balance sheet data there to see what their reaction function is. As uh, clearly they won't be too happy about uh, that the extent of, of swing Swiss strength uh, in the currency right here. Um, okay, so finally, just turning back to you, Mira, uh, to wrap up. Um, any thoughts on uh, on euro dollar and dollar yen here? Sure, thanks, James. Um, on the dollar, I would say inverse uh, of the broad uh, dollar itself, uh, patiently, patiently uh, bearish uh, bias on uh, on that pair. Um, overall, I still think that the prospects for a convincing rebound in the euro dollar are are quite dim. Uh, you know, there is ongoing growth weakness in the region. Um, that's something that's not been internalized by the ECB yet. Uh, the PMIs uh, were, of course, revised higher from their initial estimate this month, but even so uh, are suggesting stagnant growth. Um, real rates, um, you know, those have actually normalized a bit, you know, that should help, but still there is this lag defects of policy tightening that are still in the pipeline. And then finally, I do think there are still going to be shades of uh, lingering U.S. exceptionalism and geopolitical risks as we move forward. And um, you know, there's uh, all of those actually still bias the risks around the currency um, to the downside in my mind. So still minding to have the bearish outlook and forecast. Um, but at this time, I think, um, you know, as we as we speak, the market is not really differentiating uh, between central banks as much, like particularly between the Fed and the ECB, the repricing we got for the six rate cards. 
for 2024 came in tandem in a synchronized manner for the Fed and the ECB combined. And I think, um, you know, for um, really for, for euro dollar to weaken, what we need is a wedge between what the market is pricing and for the Fed and the ECB and for the focus for the markets to shift away from inflation and once again on, on growth. Um, and, and potential U.S. exceptionalism. So uh, we are sort of on the sidelines at the moment, waiting for these conditions to come into play. I think as we speak, fair value based on real rate differentials, based on terms of trade and things like that is around 109.50. Um, and, and you know, for this to move lower, we need, um, I think most importantly for U.S. data to really start to challenge the Fed or alternatively, we need European data to indicate that we are actually entering into a deeper growth hole slash recession. Uh, on dollar yen, uh, look, it's all about it's all about U.S. yields. Um, you know, the tragic earthquake um, has certainly pushed back the timing of um, the NERP exit from BOJ um, from um, for, for at least some investors. Um, you know, we didn't think this was a Q1 event in any case, but certainly. To the extent that there was certain odds that you know people were placing on, on an early BOJ move, that's been pushed back. So from that lens, at least you can you can sort of understand why dollar yen has um, has shot up again, and dollar yen is actually overshooting by four to five yen if you look at uh, it versus rate differentials at the moment. Um, but at the end of the day, you know this is going to be about yield compression, and the big mover on this yield compression is going to come not from the BOJ. It's going to come from outside of Japan. It's going to come from the U.S. and Europe and all the other countries. And I think um, overall, the view there still is of a partial recovery for yen. Um, you know, as as that yield compression unfolds, that view is unchanged. Uh, but it does come down to the global um, yield story, and it is contingent on other central banks actually delivering uh, those rate cuts. So certainly, the direction is going to be more dictated by what, um, what by what more DM yields are doing more more than anything else. We'll stop there. Um, you can find more details on JPMorganMarkets.com. So take a look at our publications or reach out if you want to discuss further. Uh, this communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2024 JP Morgan Chase and Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on January 5th, 2024.